Be the best rugby coach you can be. Welcome to Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with head coach Dan Cottrell, where you learn hints and tips from the rugby coaching community. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with me, Dan Cottrell. I was delighted to welcome along to this version of the podcast, Mark Bennett, MBE. Mark is a former British Commando and Senior Instructor with the Army Physical Training Corps. He has had over 30 years of practice and research in developing his Coaching and Learning Consultancy Performance Development Systems, PDS Coach. Mark, as many of you will know, has worked with lots of different coaches and players across a wide range of top sports, including working with the RFU, amongst others. I was particularly pleased to catch up with Mark because I use a load of his ideas and tools in my own coaching and when I'm coaching coaches. And I wanted to delve deeper into the reasons behind them and help improve how I deliver. So I'm sure that you'll pick out a lot of ideas from the conversations that we had. So without further ado, let's dig into the podcast. I'm delighted to welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast, long overdue, Mark Bennett. So welcome to the podcast, Mark. Thanks for inviting me on, Dan. Well, I've listened to plenty of your podcasts before, and so I'm going to hope to... um, ask a few questions which will challenge you but I know you've been in this uh, coaching space for a very long time Uh, so I suppose the first question I'm going to ask you is um, what has changed in all the time that you've been in this coaching world what's changed for you the biggest shift has been and I would say um, particularly over the last 10 and even more so the last five years is that the The focus on coaches discussing the interaction, the dialogue between player and coach and the less focus just talking about technical and tactical when two coaches get together. There's there's been a seismic shift in the acceptance that players need to think for themselves and possibly the way coaching has traditionally developed past I've retired players, so let me be a coach. And then courses become formalized and they become overly tech tech. I think there's an acceptance more now recently that part of a coach's formal skill set must be to upskill a player's ability to think, to review, to make decisions live and not just run through the drills and, you know, let's play this way. Do you understand? Yes, coach. So I think that's been the biggest shift over the last 30 years. But the last 10 or five, certainly it's been an acceptance acceleration. And that's uh, that's what's changed for you then as well in, in your delivery? Or is it something you're probably doing more of than you thought? Oh, for me, I mean, that, that, that was my light bulb when I started, that I, I believe this is what we needed to do. I, um, but no one believed me. So uh, <laughs> the... for. Yeah, my, my answer was based on how I've seen coaching shift, you know, right. across the board. The coaching for me, um, what's changed is my ability to explain it to people that don't know what I'm on about, um, to provide applicational tools to make it easy for coaches to go, oh, that's something tangible I can use as a reference to better understand how to apply it. Because when I started, I could do it and uh, I could go, come on, watch me. 
Um, but when someone said, yeah, but have you got any tools that you could share with me that I could go away and use? I, I, I hadn't. So that's been the evolution for me. So that's personally, that's been my biggest shift. But the principle of getting players and athletes to think for themselves without the need for me, that was the start of, OK, that's the salute. That's the problem I want to solve. Uh, and that's where it began in 30 years ago. Do you think that's because coaches are quite scared yeah, there's, there's certainly an element to that. And also um, the environment um, in the past has not been an accepting environment when a coach has said, uh, I need to get better at this. I'm not getting through to this player. It was always the go-to was, and I'm generalizing here, but this is just my experience, is the go-to has been that player is not coachable. That player is not working. That player should listen to me. Um, and some coaches didn't have that conversation about, well, maybe it's me, um, rarely happened. It was, it's the player's fault. So there was that very interesting list. Well, the list has been out there for a long time of 10 things you can't coach um, and about uh, effort and turning up on time. How does that fit into that, uh, that disconnect perhaps between what the coach thinks the player should be doing for them and what they should be doing to help the player think for themselves? Yeah, it's a good question, Dan. If I can use an analogy, it's a bit like a highly skilled um, Formula One team boss um, that's built this great car and wants to win races. Just get someone out the, the stands and says, OK, I want you to drive this car. And enthusiastic as they are, they keep crashing the car and, and the... The, the boss is saying, well, why, why don't you understand that where to brake and where the line is and where the acceleration is and where the cornering is? I mean, this, this is crazy. Um, and it's that kind of understanding that that person you've just asked to do that job, to, to perform in a certain way, may potentially be able to do it, but they haven't got the skills to do it yet. So there has to be an understanding that when you, when you look at the person in front of you and make a judgment call on whether they're coachable or not, or, you know, what is it that's missing? Um, understand that it's a skill. It's a skill set that some people through good parenting or just natural ability or good teaching or a good mentor or coach early on manage to nurture that within them. So when you come across someone at any age, it could be an adult in a pro team or a seven, eight year old child. You're only seeing what's what you're seeing in the flash of the moment. It doesn't mean to say who they potentially are. And we don't know whether they've had positive or negative influences on the way they think, feel and see the world. So for me, there's too many variables to make a judgment call on. Well, here's a list and this is what people, you know, this is what coachable is. This is what coachable is not, et cetera, et cetera. Just because you're only seeing what's in front of you in that moment. Um, and sometimes it takes a support mechanism to to educate people in an effective way in learning and understanding and getting them to think in a different way and act in a different way and reflect in a different way to get them to where you want them to be so you can't say if someone's coachable or not based on what you see in front of you because you don't know the level of nurturing or development they've had and that comes down a lot to coach experience where we often see coaches who've been ex-players and they come in and say well i've done all the drills i've been in the coaching world in a sense because i've been on the other side of the fence so off i go and i'll start coaching and they they then apply what worked for them and of course what they haven't understood is as, as you've said all the different backgrounds and different reasons and different motivations why 
the person, the player is there and they don't spend the time to find out. And also they don't have the experience necessarily to understand the cues and messages, which then changes the way that you will apply. I mean, that's often a debate about coaches who jump straight in out of playing. Is is that a problem you see? Is that something that um, they can get over quickly or does it take a requisite, not an, a defined number of years, but a number of years before they can really make better decisions as coaches? I think it's a, um, I think it's a judgment call on the individual. Because I mean, if I can use an example now that's recent, and I haven't worked with the guy recently, but I've known him for many years, was Stuart Hooper. Yeah. So I met Stuart. God, when was it? Ninety nine, two thousand, when he was a very young Saracens player, and I was I was running some support training for Saracens at the time, and when around the pre season, he just stood out as a star. Even as a young player, he had that leadership skill, the being able to be calm in the pressure situations, being able to read things well, being really good at communicating with the people around them. And he was better than anyone of his age and experience and probably five, ten years above. You know, you had a few of the stars like the Kieran Brackens, the Richard Hills, the legends of Richard, um, but there wasn't many others that had his skill set. And I met him again then when I went back um, a few years ago uh, when Mike Ford was the head coach at Bath and he was the captain at Bath Rugby. And again, he, he had that wisdom and quality. So for someone like him, who's now recently gone into management, um, I would say he would get it quicker than many other players that could have even played at higher level than Stuart. Stuart, Stuart never played international. Um, you could have another player that's played British lines in England that would go into a coaching job that may not have the same understanding and ability. So... I think it's more down to when you go through that journey of experience in life as a player, some people reflect differently and are quite smart at picking things up. You know, they stand back and observe. Why is a coach like that? Oh, that's, oh, that was a good way you communicate with that player. And I, I pick this up and it becomes an evolution. So th- those type players potentially have wanted to be a coach for 10, 15 years. They have a passion and they love the evolution of the human being, not just playing the game and the scoreline. You have others that do very well and they think you, you would make a great coach and they switch into it and they haven't really developed over the years that awareness. They may have been in the same situation, but they didn't make the conscious connections, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So um, not particularly talking about anybody specifically, but some uh, might have be predisposed to pick it up very quickly, yet... Yeah. Uh, they haven't necessarily done their, well, their coaching badges or their their coaching journey. They haven't gone down to work with an academy team, a grassroots team, and sort of gone through all those difficulties where you've got to discover how to deal with people, deal with situations that drop straight in. Is is it possible to be fast-tracked? Can you sort of not have, you don't have to go through that pain? I think it. I think it's possible, but again, it's back to the variables, isn't it? Because I think even I think now, um, if you look at certain teams around the world that are very athlete-centered in the robust, effective way of athlete-centered, not what many people think it is. Um, uh, sorry, you're you gonna then to, you're going to have to explain that the robustness. So, so the, the athlete-centered, if it's what it should be, is players being held accountable for understanding their role, understanding the game, being able to make decisions in practice and live, to problem solve, to work things out, to be able to self-evaluate, 
to read their teammates around them, know how to interact with them live and adapt based on what they see in front of them. And a coach that develops that and nurtures that, but still places high pressure on them. So attempts to catch them out, challenges them to, okay, why are you making those choices? As opposed to when you're in this position, we need to play this way. So that athlete-centered approach, what you end up with, you end up with players that understand the game far better, have been so used to expressing through effective dialogue the reasons of understanding why we made those choices and what are the options and become very comfortable under pressure, being able to quantify that and actually adapt to the game of what's in front of them, opposed to play an ABC. So those type of players, if they've been long enough in that environment, will have a far greater head start than, let's say, the traditional type of coaching. I'm generalizing here, but mm. OK, guys, we're going to play this way. I want when we do this, I want you to do that. And we kick out here and we go into the scrum. OK, has anyone got any questions? You get the other one or two. Right. OK, let's go. The coaches shout, yeah, over here, Jimmy wide kick now. Yeah, it's really good. Anyone got any questions kind of thing? It's, it's a different, it's almost like an apprenticeship unknowingly within understanding of the game. Um, but again, still some of those people may may need a long apprenticeship. Um, I think it's which coach you've been under as a player and your experience and understanding of the game and the level of interaction you've had. And then when you get into that coaching is who is your first mentor? And I think that's important. Whoever goes in, even if you, you think, right, this guy is phenomenal, he could be fast-tracked. He still needs an effective mentor. Like someone, someone like Mike Ford, I would say, is an effective mentor of coaches, that he gives them the little things they may not have seen as a player, they, they understand, and they have someone that challenge them and and get them to ask the right questions about player selection, about, you know, how are you going to set up the strategy? Are you getting caught up in the scoreline now with the external pressures of the bigger games that you wouldn't necessarily have if you went straight in at junior level, you know, in a county level, built your experience that way? So I think part of it is the journey you've been on as a player. And then the other part is, have you got the competencies? And the other part is, who how quality is your mentor that is helping you through that transition into the management and in all this uh, there's a lot about discovery through asking good questions creating good challenges there is of course at the other end of the spectrum the the tell uh, which uh, mm. is there's a danger of course you can tell everybody the the tactics and that sort of thing but there has to be some element of tell in there um how where do coaches how do you help coaches know when they need to stop telling and need to start asking the questions well almost the other way around i'm going to ask it the other way around because obviously um what's happened in the past is that they've been very tell and now we want them to be far more including the players in their decisions making them more accountable by offering them challenges but there must be a moment where a coach has to share some knowledge how, how do you see oh, that happening yeah, it's um, it's interesting because that's probably the biggest challenge I get all over the world when I'm, you know, coaching and mentoring teams uh, is a coach is lost. You know, the same right. You, I agree in philosophy that I want the players to think for themselves, but I've been telling them all this time. So I can't just stand back and do nothing. And some actually do that. Some stand back and do nothing. So, well, this must be it then. And all of a sudden it's horrendous. So it's, it's understanding that the athlete centered in what it should be is light and shade. It's the full spectrum of um, knowing when to tell, knowing when to step back, when to challenge, when you ask, when to change scenarios. But back to the question is the key thing is, is giving them framework. So I, I set the rule of three 
a lot of people understand that as a player framework, but actually the rule of three is a coach framework. So the, the rule of three is a giving a coaches a guideline to say, right, first of all, we need to baseline anything. So instead of, you know, starting a session and doing little chit chats about, okay, guys, this is going to work on a day or remember what we did last time. No, straight after the warm up, you set back, you throw a scenario at them and you're checking their baseline. What have they recalled? What can they do without you? That's data. And based on that data, you can then challenge, you go, okay, guys, what if this happens? Bang, bang, bang. And it, then if you're quite clear, right, there's confusion or the players are just incorrect, then you say, right, guys, just to be clear, it's actually this. And again, if it's new skill, don't faff around trying to get them to figure it out. Give them some guidance. Go, go, guys, here's are the principles. This is our framework. This is what it looks like. Okay, so any questions, right? And then we then we can build them out. Yeah, you can work options on that. I want you to quantify the choices you make, but I'm going to help you give you the understanding of the principles first. And it's it's that when coaches get that, you can see the light bulb going off and they go, ah, okay, so I can still do this bit, but I understand when to do it now. And how essential is that? Because I think um, coaches forget that um, it's a lot about what the players have learned. And you can only test that by putting them in those scenarios. So you're setting up scenarios and you're finding out what they've forgotten and what yep. they can remember. And the stuff they've forgotten and they're never going to remember or it's going to take a long time. That's when you step in and say, look, I've got to, I've got to recoach this. I've done a brilliant um, podcast very recently with Doug Lemoff. And he was saying just this. It's a lot about I'm going to find out what you can't remember and then going to remind you of the key things. And then I'm going to challenge you from there. And if you can't step in at the right times, then you're you're not really teaching. You're just letting fail all the time. Yeah. And that that is a that's quite a hard thing to do, I think, for coaches. You say you could just stand back and then make them let them make lots of mistakes. It's knowing when to step in and step out. So in terms of this idea of the, the rule of three, which you've talked about plenty of times, why is it more coach-based than player-based? Because the coach is still the person in charge and the coach is given the permissions, but the coach, importantly, is scanning for competencies at each one of the numbers and the coach is deciding when to step in. So if you think about it, the coach is now scanning. So he's set the, or she has set the scenarios up. The coach is now observing and listening. So what is listening and watching is watching at one itself, every player itself. Are they in the present? Are they scanning? Are they committing to choices? No, they're not. Right now, as a coach, I'm scanning for other players. Has anyone else noticed that? And are they doing anything about it? No, they're not. Now I'm choosing. Right. Do I now do a one to one with that player? Call them in. OK, review what happened there. Talk to me, okay, whatever it might be. Or is it a group reset? Whatever it is, I me as a coach is using the rule of three to know when do I step in, when do I not. The players are now committing, but they're making wrong choices, right? What do I do? Right, Let's see if any of the players connect with it. No, they're not. Right, I've got a player on the sideline now. Danny, what are you seeing here? Yeah, they're not getting it, coach. What should it be, Danny? What? Okay, can you sort that out for me? And he pushes that person in. Or he pulls everyone and goes, okay, guys, stop, review what's just happened. Okay, what's preventing us from being successful? And then recognizing, right, it's a lack of understanding, right, now I teach back and then I step away again. So the rule of three is actually a coach tool that gives the coaches a nice scanning framework to 
to give them decisions to come off the intervention choices but it's giving players time to sort things out but it's not giving them time that's wasted time where this is going nowhere now they're continuing just to change things but it's not actually scanning that's not working i'm, I'm going to commit to something else right that's not working i'm going to change something it's actually giving the coach a framework to know when i step in when i don't but it's preventing this just learn from experience that could take hours to work out something that we could do together in five minutes you know yeah now this the coach is observing scanning there is uh, lots of places that this coach could stand and there's another question coming on uh, is what they say when the practice is going on so would you say to the coach sometimes you've got to be standing right back and sometimes you've got to be standing in the middle of it um, is that is that relevant or is that um, actually they have got to stand back and see everybody? Yeah, I think that the, the coach needs to really comfortable understand that they need to move. So there are times when they have to be in a position where they can see every player on the pitch because what can often happen with coaches and players is they start following the ball. They start looking at the action just around the ball. And the danger of that is we can have some disengaged players way off the ball that aren't following the game aren't getting themselves in position for potential interceptions transition defense attack whatever it may be so you have to step back and do that quick scanning but also then you need to be moving in and out to go right i need to see what's going on here and it's a bit like the guy with the orchestra i'm manipulating the situations to give more opportunities to see certain situations but i need to move in i need to move back because selfishly it's up to me to read what's going on to see if the players are making good choices are getting it putting another problem in stepping back again so it's understanding that it's not just yes you need to stand back at times but also if you're struggling to hear or see something move get in there get out yeah now often i've seen coaches who have been very good uh, coaches of fullbacks because in training sessions they stand next to the fullback to get a bigger picture yeah. and they're the only person who's getting the question yeah uh, of course uh, some people might say is only only fullbacks are the people who are bright enough to understand what you're you're telling them and you don't want to be telling the low numbers any uh, anything too complicated so my before i get somebody coming across to me and saying uh, low numbers are brighter than uh, fullbacks what what do you when are you intervening in other words i can you are you intervening live the practice is going on something i mean this is any sport of course but the practice is going on there's uh, there's movement uh, or are you stopping the play and saying something uh, I'm, I'm sure the answer is probably you're doing lots of things is there a sort of a no-no that uh, you don't keep stopping the play or you don't just keep doing it in play so in, in essence you, you have a stop play intervention but it's your last option so you've got i'll only explain a few of them there's many more to this but these they come off these basic ones you first of all you have to teach players how to be able to self-review so this is a missing element that many coaches think players are going to work out for themselves some do many don't so you have to teach a basic experiential learning cycle of being able to scan what are my opportunities what are my threats right what's the choice i'm going to make i commit to the choice then i review the choice and the execution separately so i'm not getting confused between the two so if players and i i teach this and players can do this from five six seven years old this is not a high adult thing you need to do and if you ever go up and watch evo rugby in sheffield uh, that they're great exponents of their young kids doing this live so once you get players being able to do that your first go-to is you can just shout the name so they've just done something and you either think i'm not sure if they understand the choice or that was unacceptable based on our pre-agreements or that was exceptional 
um, but I haven't seen any reaction from the player itself. So now I just shout the name and just you've agreed what a hand signal is of, you know, I shout the name if I put my hand up. I'm asking for a conclusion. So as that player is just running back, just that little subtle break in play, that player could do a little thumbs up or I should have passed wide, um, which is extending that arm and say wide, whatever it is that you've agreed. Now the coach knows, I know you've got that, no problem. So I don't have to pull you over. You've just concluded what I wanted to understand. And now I'm just looking for next time are you actually making a different action? You're not just telling me the answer, but not showing me. So that's one. The second one is you just call one over. So you can do a swap with someone on the sideline. It's a quick one-to-one, -one, maximum 60 seconds. We want to get down to 30. You pull them over and you just get to the position on the sideline and they don't have to run as far. You just go, okay, review what happened there. Talk to me. They just review, okay, so this is this is what I saw. Um, this is why I made this decision. Next time, I'd actually do it again. Or actually, I saw an overlap. Instead of running in, I should have passed it wide. Great, show me. And you push them back in. So there are your two go-tos when it's still running. Then there's things like the resets. And then there's a group huddles where you don't go in. You give them 10 seconds, 20 seconds. They go in other huddles. You can shout and tell them what it why it was. So it may be communication or width. Or you don't tell them, but it's something they know is unacceptable based on what we've pre-agreed of success for the session. And it's allowing them to go, right, this is time for us to just to chat very quickly and we go live again. Before you get to, right, I'm stopping and now I'm talking as coach. So there's many light and shades, but our aim is to keep the player as live as we can. But we want to know what the players are thinking and why they're making those choices. I think important thing also to say is that you're not picking up on every single thing. Because there's a danger with immediate feedback is that players almost rely on it. So they've done something and they just need to look across to you to check what hand signal you're giving in terms of acceptable, unacceptable, exceptional. They've got to work out for themselves and they might be at some stage. You might shout out this this obviously top player called Danny uh, might uh, at one stage you might shout out his name. But it might be just once in a session. Yeah, you might have done 10 things good, 10 things okay and 10 things bad but he's not getting that immediate feedback so the players am i getting the right sense you're not all not every single player is under the microscope every single second of the game or the training session yeah so well there's a few things there is i mean what you're scanning for is you're just scanning for anything exceptional or unacceptable based on what you pre-agree are the success criteria of the session so this is important because Far too often, we try reviewing everything in a session. Right. And that makes it difficult for the coach and it makes it difficult for the players. So you've already agreed, right, for this phase of the session, this is what success is. So it may be maintaining width on transition, you know, whatever it is, whatever it is. You agree what would be exceptional and unacceptable, what would that look like? And then all you're doing is, the only thing on top of that is the non-negotiable behavior stuff. So it may be we commit to everything, whatever it might be. You're only looking for those as a coach. So when you shout a name, you're shouting a name because you're interested in what they think they've just done, but you're not giving them any hand signal clues. It's just literally, you might just put shout the oh, name right. and put the hand over the ear. So that means coach is interested in my conclusion of what just happened there, but I, he's not telling me it was good or bad because he does that or she does that when I do things exceptional and when I do things unacceptable. So it's, it's purely the specifics of, I, I know that player's just nailed it. I've seen a, a response, yeah, I don't need to do a hot review with that person. That person's just done something exceptional or unacceptable. They haven't had any reaction. No player's talked to them. I'm not sure if the player connected to that. So I'll just do a shout name. 
with a hand over the ear and I'm just interested in the player's opinion. So the player gets no clues from coach and it's only specific to finding out if I, I want to know if that player has understood what just happened there. All right. And that's very important that players, um, the way the way to improve and to get mastery is to understand why things work or don't work and often you can do things wrong but if you understand why it's gone wrong that is on the path to mastery so let's just go take a a step back then so you've set out uh some criteria and this brings on to another question is about targets and objectives now there is various um research into goals and goal setting and there's can be difficulties that uh, targets can be seen as a a necessary evil or I'm not sure what you're going to say now is they're a force for good if they are understood and implemented correctly so what is your view or uh, what is your interpretation of targets and objectives as effective ways of coaching they, they have to have the organicness and the flexibility it's a bit like you know getting into a car and putting a postcode and a sat nav you can't before you start that journey say I'm definitely gonna go down this road I'm gonna go down this road and I'm gonna be doing this speed But what you can say is, I want to get there. Now, the journey will depend on which route you take. And there could be many routes to get there. And you continually evaluate as you go. And it may be along the journey, you might go, actually, I'm I'm switching destinations now because I know something I didn't know before. So off I go. The judgment may have been, this journey is going to take me two and a half hours. And then when I'm on the road for half an hour, something happens, the weather changes or something happens. And so actually, this is going to take six hours. But that's not a problem. So it's it it's. I see it more as the lighthouse as your reference. Okay, so what is it you want to work towards? What's that look like to us? What would it sound like? Okay, there's our reference. But all we do is we continually make sure that is what we're doing now a crit- is going to have a critical impact to where I want to get to? Yes, it is. Can I continually evaluate it? Yes, I can. Can I adapt it if we learn something new along the pace? Yes, I can. Will the pace change based on the situations we come across? Yes, it can. So... It's ensuring that people understand it's a non-linear organic reference tool. It's not a A, B or C rigid, um, which can be quite suffocating when that happens. Now, um, coaches who are listening in, some will say, well, I'm experienced enough to see that uh, quite quickly and then I can adjust. But for the less experienced coaches, that sounds, um, I mean, it is complicated. It's part of being experienced and learning as you go along. So could you give me a sort of um, a very basic idea of how that might be set out for uh, maybe the evo coaches who are say starting a session with the under eights under nines what what would their what would their lighthouse be and how, how might their journey journey change well their lighthouse would be something they might build over the whole season right so that's like a long term reference that's the long destination so the session so the session would be what's the facilitator to the journey over that month so it may be okay so what we're going to do now is we're going to see how we can um, deal with a certain type of attack today so they'd they'd explain what the the type of attack was and they go okay so where are the challenges of this where could be the solutions for this so then based on that, they would put some acceptable, unacceptables and some exceptionals on. So what are the things that would be totally unacceptable to deal with this type of attack? So it may be not maintaining our, our defensive line, um, not to react quick enough to when we're on side and move, not maintaining my visual left and right for my players to maintain my spacing. It might be they would be unacceptable for us. What would be exceptional? And then they explain that. 
So then what you would do is, and this is, it probably goes on a bit more to what you've just asked is, but we would then make sure that one of the coaches speaks to the attack and goes, okay, so your challenge is to be successful in this style of attack. What would be acceptable and acceptable for you? So we make sure that everyone's engaged in something and then they go at that. So then they're, they're reviewing based on what they agree success was and only that, but based on that, there's some facilitators to be successful. So it's, we keep it as simple as that. Everyone understand what that looked like. And we just reference against that. We don't add anything else in. Even if a coach notices it, they can remember it, but they can't bring it up or communicate with it. If a player mentions something else, we just go back to them. Remind me what he said success was. Oh, okay. So just review against that. And we keep it really simple for them. And that's a facilitator for something else we can build on. But we may say, I've planned that we're only going to do that for an hour this week because we'll nail it and when you've done it you realize oh we're not we haven't nailed it yet okay but that's okay we'll just continue it the next session we don't have to move on to something else if we're not ready to and that's kind of the confidence coaches need to have it particularly at grassroots where they're saying well in this season we need to cover a b c d focus on what's the most important and understand it's not about covering it it's about have the players learn it with understanding so they can apply it and transfer it into the game that's what matters to us and if it takes a bit longer than you think that's fine and they, they the, you'll know that the players understand it well first through their actions but when you question them you'll say what does that look like and they'll be able to explain in whatever way and they might have to show you and i quite like the way well i very much like the way you say what does it look like uh, because that then gives them the cues and the clues probably to say, well, it's not looking like that at the moment, so how, how can we change? And, of course, if they come to you and ask ask you how that might change, well, you've got to make a decision whether you ask them a question or you, you add in something else. And I suppose, I mean, there's hundreds of questions which jump off this, but I suppose the one I want to sort of tie this up with is that there you are with this group. You've said this is what it looks like. This is exceptional, acceptable, well, unacceptable. Yeah. And we don't yet, tell them, though, Dan. Yeah. We, we ask them and they tell us. All right. You, they tell. So obviously they've got some knowledge which they've built up over time. And then they're going to help with you develop that that framework. Now, within those groups, some of the, some of the uh, players will be two, three years ahead of their groups in terms of their thinking, their understanding of the game. They may watch a lot of sport. Their parents may play a lot of sport. They're introduced to it. Now, at the other end of the spectrum, you've got those who may maybe not have that ability, maybe physically or mentally not be that engaged with the situation. How are you going to deal with that? Well, that's it's something that even at the elite level happens. It's just a varied degree. So even when I worked with the, the highest level sports in USA and UK, you have mixed ability groups at the highest level. The The range may be bigger at lower level, but it happens everywhere. There's no team that is all the same in ability. The key to it is, is to a highlight, I call them ninjas, but highlight your ninjas in the team. And they are the influencers, highly motivated. And they want to do well, but often they can get frustrated because people aren't working as hard as them. But their intent, you know, they're highly committed is upskill them to get them one of your success criteria is you because you're a great guy and I know you get it and you're highly motivated is to help me influence the guys that sometimes don't get it to that sometimes are struggling a little bit more so that's one element that helps with that the second thing is 
to get every player to understand we're only asking them to pursue their own excellence, no one else's. So that's the doing the best you can with what you have in the present moment, which may change in two weeks, but it's about what you have now. So that would be something like Jimmy can do a mid pass with accuracy. Stevie is just struggling to do a short pass in front of someone near the chest. So what we're saying for Jimmy is, okay, Jimmy, that's all I'm asking you to do. So you just commit to that because in four weeks time, you're going to get better. For somebody else, we're saying, right, our expectation is you have more options. So it's getting them to understand any team you go into at any time in your life, you will have mixed ability, mixed level of confidence, mixed level of motivation. Part of you as a player is to understand how can you get the best out of yourself and how can you help the people around you get the best out of them and how can you change what you're doing to help the other person be successful, meaning you wouldn't do a hard, fast pass to someone that you know can't receive a hard, fast pass. What type pass would you do for that person that's next to you? Oh, it'd be this type pass. Great. Show me that. So this, this, this is about getting players to understand that at the earliest age, the better, that what you're experiencing now, you will experience in every part of your life, in school, in business, in elite sport, at a varied degree. Your success will depend on how well you can positively influence yourself and the people around you based on their excellence now. So then it becomes okay. Coaches, instead of seeing it as a problem, actually see it as an opportunity to develop life skills, which is a whole turnaround on the mindset of mixability groups. Now, where I can see uh, um, this, loads of questions drop out of this. But so the guy at the top, um, you've, you've upskilled them uh, or given them these responsibilities and that that makes them feel really good about themselves. Now, the guy at the bottom realizes now that uh, they're in the, the D group because you're saying giving them the simplest task to do. How can you say that in a way which doesn't make them feel too much like they are in the bottom group? Because, I, I mean, the value, obviously, of individualized excellences is makes a lot of sense but there are kids who are sensitive do we need to be sensitive to them do we need to use different language how how, how would you deal with that it's the excellence deals with it for yourself so if you if you share with everyone what excellence is and that's all you're asking every, everybody and understand everyone's on a different journey everyone's at a different place on that journey and no one can dictate how good someone's going to be two years, five years, 10 years. No one can. No one ever has been able to. So we're getting people to say, okay, so what would excellence be to you right now? What can you do for the next two minutes, the next 30 seconds? Okay, show me that. Great. And when they do that, we make sure them and the other players and ourselves measure them against that and not based on the outcome. So remember my whole business mm. philosophy statement is performance is a behavior, not an outcome. So if us as coaches are referencing outcome we will negatively drive the very things you've just spoke about. If as coaches we're in, we're developing a way, a culture within our team that we are measuring excellence based on our commitment to the choices we make, then it's a game changer because then the most junior person and the most least skilled, least fittest feels valued because someone's backing them because they've sprinted as fast as they can sprint. They've done the pass they can do. They've committed to it. It didn't come off, but they committed to it more than any other. And they've got another player saying, saw that great commitment. So now we're, we're measuring the very things that the fundamentals of high performance is driving your own behaviors in the moment with what you have, making a choice and committing to it. So 
we need to get coaches to understand if you're referencing outcome in how you you talk in language of referencing of success you're actually undermining all the problems that you want to resolve you're <laughs> highlighting them you're part of the problem not part of the solution by doing that and also another thing which is very uh, coming across very clearly there is you're sharing with everybody what ex- that excellence looks like so it's not just you uh, giving the thumbs up or whatever signal it's the player next to them saying I know what your excellence looks like and I'm going to recognize that for you and I'm going to share in your success so that sharing of success is a very powerful team motivation but it's very powerful for peers to understand um, yeah I think that guy's done really well and so I can you know I, I've got a, a realistic understandable way of passing on praise oh it's huge it is a game changer i mean there's there's loads of tools you can use for this but one of them i would recommend is once you've shared excellence and what it is and ask them what would that look like and understand what would that look like for stevie jimmy sarah then you ask them to run a session like a phase of play and we're saying all you can do is if someone does something exceptionally well that's all the verbalization you can have, but you have to put a name on it and say what it is. So if Stevie does the best pass Stevie's ever done and really commits something, attack or whatever it is, you, you say, Stevie, awesome pass. So all of a sudden now, they can't say anything but that. And what <laughs> you'll find is the feedback and the positivity, and it's not in a wishy-washy way because they can't generalize. They have to scan for it. It needs to be specific. They need to put a name on it. It really highlights the fact of the feedback you'll always get is, I really enjoyed that. We really worked harder than usual, but I love the fact I really went for that sprint back. I really went for that tackle and someone recognized it. They weren't they weren't talking about the outcome. It didn't come off. They actually recognized my intent and my commitment to, to doing something. And sometimes we miss that a little bit of, of saying that's important for young players to focus on. Uh, that's, I mean, it's very uplifting, that thought. And uh, perhaps before we'd uh, gone on the podcast, we should have set these out so I could have then said to you, Mark, uh, uh, awesome, uh, awesome podcast, Mark, you've done, you've uh, you've hit, uh, we, well, I know what it looks like. And you say, Dan, uh, no, awesome questions. And uh, we'd be congratulating. But it is very uplifting. Well, Mark, uh, brilliant. I mean, thousands of more questions to ask you. Uh, and maybe we can revisit them another time. So for people who are listening in, and they want to find out more or dig deeper into uh, what you're doing, where do they go? PDS Coach, that's Papa Delta Sierra, is pretty much everything. So pdscoach.com is my website. PDS Coach is my Twitter. They're the two main I use. And I've got the Facebook with Twitter. And the website is uh, where all the links in. And on there, the website, there's a whole page of all the podcasts I've been guest on. There's a link to YouTube where you'll see video example and demos. Um, but also I run evening clinics at Reading and Sheffield where you see this live in action uh, and me talking about the principles. And then we run one day masterclasses where I share these principles. You see a live demo. I give you the fundamentals to help you grow. And again, I've got the online mentoring where I can support you or actually go into teams and support them live. Um, so that's from grassroots down to NBA, um, Premiership Rugby, Super League, uh, etc. It's just where there's, where there's coaches that really want to upskill their craft to get the best out of the players they're working with. Yeah, and I, of course, we've only scratched the surface here and hopefully given some coaches some some ideas and some ways forward. But if you're if you're serious about coaching, 
genuinely you've got to you've got to read around you've got to find the mentors and uh, you've got to splash some cash to 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 really develop yourself but also get out there and try these things mark brilliant thank you very much for your time uh, it's been as usual i come away thinking all right i need to make some changes and upskill but uh, from uh, from my point of view thank you very much for your time and your uh, your insights Oh, it's been a pleasure, Dan. I mean, any time we can get the word out to a new audience that they might take one thing from this that's going to have a positive impact to their coaching, then, you know, it always makes me smile. It gets you up in the morning. And it may be if they pick up a lot of questions and they come for you, Dan, and you get a trend of follow-up questions, maybe we can do another one. On now, that would be brilliant, Mark. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for that. Now, uh, for all those who uh, were listening in, uh, this is rugbycoachweekly.net podcast. Go over to the website click on the podcast button to find out more podcasts and more about this podcast as well so uh, once again thank you very much mark and look forward to catching up with all of you very soon thanks for listening to rugby coach weekly podcast if you want to hear more podcasts head over to rugbycoachweekly.net and click on the blogs tab to catch up on any episodes you've missed we look forward to speaking to you again soon with more insights from coaches and experts from the world of rugby, sport, and learning.